Good morning, church. You may be seated. Is there, how's everyone doing this morning? There we go. Great. Yeah, there you go, Lou. Lou, stand up. Lou, stand up a minute. He can clap. Let's clap. Let's wait. Okay, there you go. If Lou can do it, we can do it. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Well, again, as you're, you're, we're so glad you're here as we're continuing, continuing to walk through this book of Daniel. This morning we are in Daniel chapter 3, and I couldn't think of a better person to come and teach us in Daniel 3 than Brother Chris Katalka from Friends of Israel. So Chris, let's give him a hand and come on, come on up and share from God's Word this morning. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Morning, everybody. People, this is amazing. We're, I'm in church. I've been in church in a long time. It's killer up there in Camden County, I'm telling you. These people are, in the Hebrew, they say mashuga. They're crazy up there, okay? It's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Chris Katolka with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Really quick, for those of you who don't know, and we're online right now too, right, Pastor Jason? Okay, so for my Facebook people out there too, who maybe are tuning in, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry is a mission, a global mission, a worldwide Christian ministry. We reach out to the Jewish communities all around the world with the truth of who God is, the truth of what the scriptures teach about the Messiah Jesus as well. Uh, we partner with Jewish communities around the world. Uh, we've been doing it since 1938, 80 years. We've been ministering to Jewish people. Our founding, uh, uh, the founders of the organization came right out of uh, Philadelphia. You know, we used to raise funds in 1938. You don't have to be a historian to know what was going on in that time. The Holocaust was ramping up. Jewish people were being persecuted, and the Friends of Israel Relief Society, as we were called back then in 1938, would knock on churches like Faith Bible Church. We'd knock on your door, and we would say, would you give to help the beleaguered Jewish people who are suffering in Poland and Germany? Because America had turned a blind eye to them, and, uh, and the, even the Jewish community here, everyone was kind of looking away. We knew what was going on. Nobody really wanted to talk about it. Uh, but we went into church and said, we believe what the Word of God says about the Jewish people, that the Jewish people matter to the Lord, that the Jewish people have a plan for, for His people and His nation. We were founded as the Friends of Israel before there was even an Israel. Israel didn't come about until 1948. We were founded in 1938. And so we really believed in what God's word said about his people. So we would knock on a church like Faith Bible Church's door and we'd say, would you give to help the Jewish people? And very, very kind churches would be giving and supporting. And we would send those funds over to a Jewish organization in London at that time that were helping Jewish people come out of Poland and Germany. Eventually, some of them, not many, made their way over into America, and they would come to the port of Oswego, New York, where our very first president, our executive director, Victor Buxbazen at that time, a Jewish believer himself from Poland, um, would go up with jackets and coats and shoes and socks and food and distribute it to these suffering Jewish people. Remember these Jewish people that were getting off the boat to come into America? These were doctors and lawyers and professors and um, bankers and you know these were these these people had a lot of um, uh, cachet at one point in Europe in Poland in Germany and then all of a sudden like that they were stripped of all of their dignity and so when Victor met them and would give them food and clothing and socks and shoes he would also bring them the message of the gospel many people came to faith in Jesus during this time and I'm gonna tell you something it kind of restored some dignity that was lost. I don't want to say it, it gave it all back, but they found hope 
in the Lord Jesus. And so our organization didn't, you know, technically you'd think we would stop after the Holocaust was over and World War II was over, but we continued to minister to Jewish people that were suffering still in, an at, in the aftermath of the Holocaust in Poland, and our ministry continued to blossom and grow. And today we are all around the world with missionaries through, from Australia, New Zealand, uh, church plants in Israel, which I know you all support, Adi Lekovich, our our church, one of our church planters and missionaries in, in Israel, um, to uh, all over the United States here and in, in Canada. Uh, we even have a medical clinic in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, which there's a lot of, believe it or not, there's a lot of Jewish people in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We have a free medical clinic down there where people can come in of all types, Jewish, Gentile, but we get a chance to not only give them a physical checkup, but we give them a spiritual checkup as well. A lot of people come to faith through that ministry. So you can see what we're doing with the Friends of Israel all, you know, all around the world through our magazine, Israel My Glory. If you don't get Israel My Glory, just go to, I think, that, there we go, israelmyglory.org, and you can sign up and get a free year subscription that will come to your door. You can do our digital online one. And you can also listen to me at foiradio.org. I host the Friends of Israel's radio program. It can be heard on 500 stations all around the country up in Canada. I think we're on three stations around here, but if you don't do radio, which I understand, maybe you do podcasts, you can listen whenever you want by just going to that website, foiradio.org, and you, you can subscribe there. One more thing, people. I know you're like, Chris, just get to the Bible already. Okay, one more thing, okay? Um, we are running a online conference in March, in the beginning of March. It's called our Lookup Conference, and we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. Eight sessions. It's free to come to. All you got to do is go to our website, the top one, FOI, friendsofisrael.org. You'll find all the instructions there. And when you register for free, we're also going to give you uh, uh, the first video of a devotional series that I did in Israel. It's an eight-session devotional series, and you can get kind of a taste of uh, if you're in a Bible study or a small group. We want it to be used for that. And I walk you through the land of Israel and connect you to biblical stories. It's called The Common Thread. So, again, some great ways that you can plug into Friends of Israel. Visit our websites. Check us out there uh, and support the ministry by, by subscribing to the magazine or, or uh, listening, whatever the Lord calls you to do. Daniel chapter 3, everybody. Daniel chapter 3. You know, I get so excited sometimes that I knock my place marker out there. Daniel, there we go. Last time I was fumbling all about. Try to find, um, when you're preaching, you should try to find some of these minor prophets while you're preaching. It's nearly impossible, okay? You can go to years of seminary, but trying to find uh, Hosea is like pulling teeth out, you know? So anyway, that's just a little complaint from the pulpit. <laughs> all right, Daniel chapter 3. We're going through Daniel here. I was listening to Pastor Jason's message last week and giving you some background and insight as to where Daniel is coming from, what's going on with Daniel. And I want to I want to um, add to some of it as well, because everything he said is right about where the Jewish people were. They were in Babylon. Daniel is writing not from the land of Israel, where most of the scriptures ultimately come from. But he's writing from from Babylon. Babylon is modern day Iraq, essentially. OK, so if you kind of have a global picture, Babylon is modern day Iraq. Uh, in fact, you can actually if, if you if it ever becomes a possibility to go to uh, to Iraq. I would love to, because a lot of the buildings from these ancient days are still stand. You can still see Nebuchadnezzar's buildings. It's amazing. Um, but uh, what, what was going on with Daniel at this time is interesting, because the Jewish people are in a pagan land. 
And Daniel is not just about prophecy. L- l- let me first say this. If you ever read Revelation, you can't read Revelation without first reading Daniel. Those two go hand in hand because John is pulling constantly in the Re- book of Revelation. He's constantly pulling from Daniel. He's constantly pulling from the prophets. And so you can't read Revelation without Daniel. But there's also this element of Daniel that is a challenge to us today about what it means to be a follower of God in a world that is not the world that we want to live in, a pagan world, a, 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 an ungodly world. And Daniel is a book that challenges us to think about how we should live in light of the world that, we, that, that, we, that God has put us in. And here's the reason why I think it's interesting, is you got to go back in time. You know, Israel has had these spiritual cycles. You, you don't have to be a Bible scholar as you read through the Bible to realize there are moments where Israel in the Old Testament is really close and near to God. And then there are other times that they're really far away. And sometimes it's almost like a hard break in the text where one minute they're away and one minute they're close, which is amazing about the goodness and compassion of God that, you know, he, he will accept you back right away. That's amazing. That if you come back to him, you seek him, and you turn to him, he, he, he comes to you. That's a, it's an amazing relationship. It's the compassion and mercy of God. Even this morning, I was up reading through Second Chronicles, and I was, my daughter was next to me, and I was reading um, about the story of Ahaz, and Ahaz was one of the worst kings of all time, led is, uh, the, Ju- the Judites astray, took them into pagan practices, completely uh, abhorrent lifestyle, leading the people astray as a leader. And then the next chapter is his son Hezekiah, who's like, we got to change everything. We're going back to God, everybody. Like that. You turn the page and boom, we're back to God. That's amazing that just like that, with the heart change and, and, and the leadership leading the people, God in his compassion and mercy blessed them. But see, what happened is in that cycle with Israel, eventually it got to a point where it was so bad. Their sin was so bad. All you got to do is read Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11 to see how bad it got. It got so bad that God finally said, I'm kicking you out of the land that I promised you. And judgment is coming. Now, where did that come from? That, you know, did God just go, I'm angry with, you know, sometimes as a parent, I don't know about you all, but sometimes the anger just wells up inside and I go, ah, you're punished, you know, go to your room, you know, don't make me come up there, that kind of thing. You know, it's not even like you're, you're, you're thinking straight, you know, I have to like go off into the basement and like hide out for a moment. Lord, calm me down, especially during this COVID time. Lord, please, you know. Uh, you, you can respond and you don't even know what you're, what's going on and, and, and you're not thinking straight. But here's the thing is, where did that response from the Lord to go, that's it, I'm kicking you out of the land, you're out of here, and I'm sending you to Babylon, you know, bad, bad, bad Israel. Where did that come from? Was God just responding in anger? No, watch this. Keep your finger in Daniel 3, but go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Because if you can get Deuteronomy 28 under your, in, in your head and in your mind of what Moses is speaking to the Israelites as the Lord is speaking to them through Moses. If you can get this down, the prophets make sense. Remember, prophets aren't just writing. They're not just going, oh, I have this vision of the future. No, a prophet is somebody who judges, okay? It's somebody who judges. 
I want you to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is just before Israel goes into the land. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're just about to go in. Moses is standing. Y'all are going to go to Israel with me one day too. So I'm going to take you over there. You're going to see it. Where Moses is standing on Mount Nebo. He sees all the land. He's about to go. You know, he wants to go in. But he's giving the Israelites the law one more time before they go in so they remember it. Because you know, before you take your kids to like, Somewhere you go, I'm going to tell you one more time. If you don't behave, it's going to be crazy when you get home. You know, y'all are seeing what it's like to be a parent at the Katolka house right now. But, you know, you remind your kids, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Moses is reminding the Israelites before they go into the land. Listen to this. If you fully obey the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, and carefully follow all his commands— I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. That's what God wanted to do with Israel. That's what he's going to do with Israel. Look, I want to set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Listen to what the blessings are. You will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. You'll have lots of kids. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your baskets and eating bowls uh, will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Lots of blessing, people. We want blessing, right? The Lord will grant that your enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you one direction and flee from seven. Blessing protection. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will bless you in the land he is giving you. He wants to bless you. He wants obedience. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and you walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples of the earth, look at this, because of your obedience, then the whole world will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. And the Lord will grant that you abundantly prosper in the fruit of your womb and the livestock. And it goes on and on and on again. Verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens and the storehouses of his bounty and send rain. Remember, back in the day, they didn't have pipes, you know, where you just turn on hot water. And oh my gosh, here's hot water, people. You turn on a little uh, faucet and boom, I can, you know, I got water in the bathroom. I got water in the kitchen. I got water in the powder room. They didn't have that back then. The only thing they counted on, and if you're a farmer, you know, we have sprinkler systems now that transmit water and put water here where we need water. In the ancient day, they didn't have that. In the ancient day, it was, Lord, please bring rain. Rain is a blessing. Rain means we can eat this year, okay? Rain was everything. The Lord will open the heavens, storehouses of his bounty will send rain on your land in the seasons to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend, listen to this, Dave Ramsey is writing back then, okay? You will lend to many nations, but not borrow from none. The Lord will make your, you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be on top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following the other gods and serving them today, or uh, serving them. Blessing, 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 if you obey. Now watch, because then it's the other side. You know, like when you're talking to your kid, if you do this, ice cream's coming your way, people. If you follow me, you will listen, you behave. It's going to be good. But if you don't, you know. Now listen, here comes Moses again with, with God's word. However, verse 15, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees I give to you, 
all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Cursed in your city, cursed in your country. Your baskets and kneading bowls, cursed. Fruit of your womb, cursed. Crops, lands, calves, lambs, flocks, cursed. You'll be cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out. The Lord will send curses, confusion, rebuke, everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to a sudden ruin because of the evil that you, that you have done in forsaking him. The Lord's going to plague you with disease, and he goes on and on. Look at verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from, the, from seven. It's the reverse of what the blessing is. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Remember that for Daniel, okay? Uh, scroll over or flip over to, if you're following me here, um, to verse 49. Then the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down a nation whose language you don't understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. Go down to verse 65. Then the Lord will scatter you among the nations. From one end of the earth to the other, there you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations, you will find no repose, no resting uh, to the places of the soles of your feet. Man, this is depressing, Chris. Well, I'm, here for, I'm here for encouragement today, and you're talking about cursing. Now, let me encourage you, because as you continue to read on in Deuteronomy, the best thing about the Lord is he goes, all of these curses will come on you, but if you turn back to me, I will bless you. If you repent and recognize that you were wrong, I was right, I will bless you. I will return you. I will come back to you. All of these amazing blessings. If you can understand Deuteronomy 28, I promise you when you read the prophets, it all makes sense. Because it all has to do with blessings and cursings that come later on. Now watch this. Why is Daniel and his friends in Babylon? Because Israel forgot God. And God said, just like I said in my law, it's not rocket science. I didn't respond out of anger. I'm tired of you guys. Get out. No, he said, because you disobeyed me, just as I told Moses a long time ago, back, you know, a thousand years ago, when I told Moses to tell you that if you disobey, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to send you to another nation. Another nation will come in and judge you. So now think about this for a minute. I know you're like, Chris, get to Daniel 3. I'm getting, I promise. Listen, when you think about what's going on in the mind of a Jew at this time, Babylon didn't just come in and take the Jewish people and destroy Jerusalem. Babylon did this to a lot of people. Babylon, their policy was they come in, they destroy you, they humiliate you, and then they carry you into their land in order to assimilate you into their culture. That was their policy back then. And so it's interesting. It wasn't just the Jews that were carried away into Babylon. There were many people, many languages, many tongues of people and nations that were subdued by Nebuchadnezzar. And in the ancient day, it's interesting because when, when you had the gods of the Babylonians that are, mar they think they're marching with them into this battle, that when the Babylonians defeat nations and empires and they conquer them do you know what's going on they're saying our god is better than your god our god beat your god in an arm wrestling competition he's nothing we conquered him we conquered you he's done 
Your God means nothing. So what do those peoples do? They go, you're right, our God stinks. He stinks. I'd rather worship your God, Babylonians. So, yep, your God wins. The only people that didn't say your God won were the Jewish people. Why is that? They lost. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Daniel is writing from Babylon. Why did they think that their God is the best God still? Why would they think that? Because God's word came true. God's word didn't fail. They're the only group that got to Babylon and said, oh my goodness gracious, we sinned. God told us even before we entered the land that if we went away from him, he would punish us. He'd send us into... It was true. God's word is true. The Babylonian gods aren't real. They don't matter. Our God, his word is true. His word is what matters. We failed and God is saying, turn back to me. So do you know what's amazing? Jewish people don't go to church on Saturday or Sunday. They go to synagogue on Friday and Saturday. Do you know where synagogues came from? They come from this time during Daniel's life when the Jews were cast away into Babylon. That's where a synagogue comes from because they were no longer around a temple. They wanted to maintain a worship to God. So then they start to gather together to study his law away from the land of Israel, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. Did you ever scour through the Old Testament and say, where's rabbi? I don't ever see rabbi in the Old Testament. Do you know why the word rabbi is not in the Old Testament? Because that word was created in exile as the Jews are studying the Torah. There's no more priesthood. There's no more temple. The Levites aren't functioning the way they should. So rabbis, teachers rose up to teach the law to keep people in line, the Jewish people in line with what God's word said, because we don't want to fail God again. And so that's why when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is called what? Rabbi, teacher, teach us what the law says. The Jewish people did something no other group did. Their God didn't fail. Our God didn't fail. His word came true. This changes everything. Daniel chapter 3. Watch this, because it's all about the battle of the gods here. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, uh, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set, up, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, probably looking back on Daniel chapter 2, which you learned last week, which was about a statue, a multi-layered statue, and his head, do you remember, is on top of the statue, and it's a gold head. And I was reading this one scholar that was just talking about the fact that, well, Nebuchadnezzar probably got a big head thinking about his head of gold and just made himself a big statue, okay? And, and that's what he did. He's responding to the statue of the vision that he had in Daniel chapter 2. And so he builds this massive statue for people to come and to, uh, you'll see what happens in a moment. And they put it in this place called Dura, uh, which is a province in Babylon. But here's what's interesting about Dura. We really don't know where Dura is. And I was telling uh, the nine o'clock service, Dura is like a word in Akkadian, which is the language that the Babylonians spoke. Dura is like going, meeting someone from California, and you say, oh, where are you from in California? Love it there. Great place. Oh, I'm from San. Okay, like San Diego, San Francisco, San Bernardino, what San are you from? No, San, 
I'm from Sam. Okay, okay, I don't even know where that is. That's because dura is a word that is connected to usually a location. There were a lot of duras, and then it would have a hyphen, and then the name of the city. It means like an enclosed place, an enclosed city. So we really don't know exactly where Dura is. It was within the confines of the province of Babylon, but that's just some free information for you there, okay? So then he summoned, look what Nebuchadnezzar does in verse 2. He summons the satraps and the, and the prefects and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the other provincial officers to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So what does this mean? Every ruler, every judge, every governor, you know, it functioned a lot like this. You had Babylon as the central authority where the king Nebuchadnezzar ruled. He conquered so many lands. It was the largest empire of the world at that time. And they divided up the lands into locations and each location had its own governor and then under that it had locations of you know county officials and mayors all of these people were called to babylon all of his rulers and judges were called to babylon in order to dedicate this image anytime you hear the word image it should make you go hmm is that right in the bible except for the fact that you're created in the image of god a lot of times images are connected specifically to to idols. And so what happens is the satraps, verse 3, prefects, governors, they all come to Nebuchadnezzar, to Babylon, to the dedication, verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do as soon as you hear the sound of a horn, a flute, a zither, a lyre, a harp, a pipe, all the kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Okay, so what do we have here? It's treasonous. It is treasonous to not bow down and worship this image that could be in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ultimately almost giving the idea that he's a deity himself who deserves worship. If you don't bow down and worship, then you will be ultimately thrown into the burning furnace and die for treason re- for treasonous reasons. This happened to the Jewish. This is where the story of Hanukkah comes from. Not here, but later on in history. Daniel talks about it with a, with a Greek king who demanded that the Jewish people stop, to sell, stop honoring the Torah, stop circumcisions, stop all of the things that make you Jewish, and you better become Greek. And if you don't, you're done. Sacrifice a pig in front of somebody so that you can verify that you are not Jewish anymore. Give up your Judaism and become a Greek. Embrace, assimilate into the culture. Stop being Jewish. This is exactly what Daniel ultimately in Daniel 3 is saying. Is stop being who God's called you to be. Accept or suffer. So I was scrolling through the internet and I came across this article. I don't know about you, but I love scrolling through the internet. Um, waste a lot of time scrolling through the internet, uh, reading about nonsense. And then sometimes I come across, you know, things like this. Longtime missionary says secularism is the greatest threat to Christians. This actually comes from a Catholic missionary. Now, I'm not adopting Catholic doctrine at all, but I think that we can learn something from him here. When it comes to threats to Christianity, longtime missionary in Africa has argued that more than physical persecution, Western secularism poses a greater danger as the Christian faith is rapidly expanding in areas where Christians are persecuted or as it's declining in the traditionally Christian West. Do you know that in 2019, 245 million Christians lived in locations 
in the world where you could be physically persecuted for your faith. That was 2019. The number went up to 260,000 in 2020. Uh, We are the most persecuted faith in the world. Christians are. But did you hear that? In 2045, or in, in, sorry, in 2019, 245 million were in an area where they could be physically persecuted, and it jumped to 260,000 or a million in 19, uh, 2020. The church is growing in areas of physical persecution. You know, I was in New York City uh, maybe like a year and a half or two years ago, and I went to this uh, event. It was a it's a Christian event, but it was bridging the gap between the Jewish and Christian community. It was a fantastic night, and we heard from a Coptic Christian. This is a, Coptic Christians are Christians in Egypt, and the faith goes way back to the early, early church. And um, the, the gentleman there that is a Coptic Christian from Egypt said, we, you know what we teach our kids in, in Sunday school? We actually teach them that they will probably die for their faith. Come on back next week, everybody, okay? We're going to be studying Daniel. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. You're a Sunday school teacher in this church, and you look at a little kid in the eye, and you said, if you continue down this path as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you will probably be killed for your faith or heavily persecuted, heavily persecuted. I would guarantee that, maybe not in this church, but around the country, a lot of people might not come back to church. I want you to think about the church is growing in areas of persecuted areas. But as this missionary said, in areas where Western secularism is growing, the church is dying. Why? Because, you know, when we look at outside forces trying to alter who we are as a church, we can stand up, but you know what happens is secularism works its way into the church. And it starts to change us. Because you know what secularism likes to do? It likes to say, oh, these words are good. These words are nice. But if you don't conform to our ways in secularism, then we're going to silence you. And we're going to make you look foolish. If you don't agree with our view on marriage, guess what? We're going to cancel you on Facebook. If you don't think that there's gender fluidity in the world, in, in, in our culture, then you know what? We're going to cancel you on social media and we're going to ridicule you till you can't be ridiculed anymore. We'll cancel you. And you know what happens is eventually in order just to get by, I think a lot of times our church likes to, the church begins to bow down to the golden image of secularism and humanism. You know, humanism is just the worship of man. Did you all see the other day that we landed a rover on Mars? Did you see that? Maybe it was just me scouring the internet. I saw, did you see that when they, it landed? It was amazing. They're all cheering. We did it. We did it. And then the thing lands and it snaps a picture back in like one minute. And I've been in places in Iowa where my phone doesn't even connect to the internet, but I can get an image from Mars in a moment. What is going on? Oh, we're amazing. We went to the planet next door. It only took us two years to get it there. We're amazing. You know what? It's bowing down to humanism. I think it's amazing what we did. But you know what would have been even greater? God is so amazing 
that he created the heavens and earth, that he would give us the intellect as his creation to fly something as big as an SUV over into Mars and land it so that we could see another area of his creation. Praise be to God. That, you know, I was telling the earlier service, you know, my kids ask me these questions. I promise I'm not a mean dad. I love my kids. But they're like, hey, dad, did we, did, did God invent cars? It's like, well, no, they didn't, he didn't invent cars, but you know what he did? He created man to, that we were created in his image and we create. And God gave us all of the resources on earth so that we just take the, the, the things that he's made already and we can form it into something that can move forward. Oh, wow. Dad, did, did God invent airplanes? Well, no, he didn't invent airplanes. But, you know, the aluminum that surrounds the body of the plane is a metal that God made. And we just fashion it so that it's strong enough. And then we've learned aerodynamics, the laws of aerodynamics, which God created. And we've learned how to use these things so that we can get to grandma and grandpa's house faster. Okay. But you know what? That's not the way people think. They think, you know what? We're awesome. We did this. We don't need God anymore. Why? Because we've learned how to fly. We don't need God anymore. Forgetting about the fact that God is the creator of heaven and earth and the universe. We jumped to the next planet. People, we're like hundreds of millions of light years away from a billion different planets. And we're over here thinking we're the greatest thing that's ever, you know, uh, accomplished any time. Whatever. Think about it. We praise ourselves. Humanism secularism. We bow down at the altar of it, and you know what happens? We forget about the Creator. Listen to this. And it was amazing what we did. I'm not denying that. It was awesome, the fact that we landed a rover. But you know what I always just want to do? Glory to God. That's all I want to hear. Glory to God. Listen to this. At this time came forward, verse 8, uh, uh, came forward astrologers, Chaldeans, these upper classmen in, in Babylon at that time, and they denounced the Jews. Well, there's something you see happening in history all the time, right? The moment something happens, I promise you, Jews will get blamed. It's in history. It doesn't just happen here. It happens way back in Egypt. It's happened just 75 years ago. Some crazy uh, Austrian slash German guy gets up and says, Jews are the problem. Get rid of them. This is an age-old problem. Anytime in culture someone starts to blame the Jews, it's time to change what we're talking about. It's time to look at the scriptures because we've lost our ways. But look what it says here. They come to blame the Jews, denounce the Jews. And King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of a horn, flute, all the instruments, must bow down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not will fall down, they'll be thrown into the furnace." But there, can't, but there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not their Hebrew names, that's their Akkadian names or Babylonian names, who pay no attention to you. They're treasonous, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image you have set up. Now look what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. This isn't the first time you're going to see this in the scriptures, by the way. It's the same story that comes a couple hundred years later with Esther. Exact, almost exact same words. There are some Jews in your kingdom, O king, who do not follow your ways or your laws or worship your gods. This is exactly the same thing that happens in, in the book of Esther. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were leaders. 
just as Daniel was too. You read about that in Daniel chapter 1. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or go through it, worship the image of gold? So when you hear this thing, you better bow down. When you hear this music, you better bow down, or I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And look what it says at the very end there of verse 15. Then, if you don't do it, though, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Okay, now this is a challenge. Because see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, you're going to see Daniel as well later on. I don't mean to give it away, but Daniel and the lion's den is the same concept. That they're standing on biblical principles. They're standing on the fact that, you know what? We know from history that our people in the past have given in to the cultures, the pagan cultures, worshipped false gods, and look where it got us. It got us over here in Babylon. Now, we don't want to repeat this mistake because we are turning our hearts and our minds to God by his word, studying his word, understanding what the truth of God's word says. So we are going to say something that you probably don't want to hear. And Pastor Jason and I were talking about this after the last service. The very fact that they are before King Nebuchadnezzar is not like you going before the president and you're like, oh, nice to meet you. Yeah. No, if you're in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, you're in trouble. You should be shaking in your boots. In the story of Esther, Esther is told, you got to go tell your husband, Esther, the king of, of Persia, you got to go tell him that this guy Haman wants to kill all the Jews and he's got to fix the problem. And Esther goes, I can't go in there. Even his wife, the king's the queen of Persia. I can't go in there unless I'm summoned. I go in there on my own. It's trouble. I, I'm scared to death. And that's when Mordecai goes, well, you better figure something else out or God's going to do something. Maybe he's put you here for such a time as this. You know, it's the same thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being before Nebuchadnezzar, this is a big deal. You should be scared. You should feel it as you're reading this. Like your heart should be beating a little bit like, what's going to happen? You know, we like to, maybe some good music in the background would help set some tension. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. Talk about boldness. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I'm not calling the lawyers, Nebuchadnezzar. I've got my trust in the Lord. I've seen God's word work before. God's word showed that we would be here if we disobeyed him. God's word is true. Can I tell you something? Kingdoms have risen and fallen over the, over the centuries, over the millennia. They've risen and fallen. Kingdoms come and go. If your heart is tied to this country to the point where it overtakes your view of who God is, I promise you, you will be let down. Don't stake your trust in this country. Don't stake your trust in our government. Stake your trust in what God's word says. Because I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Because kingdoms rise. You know, the whole book of Daniel is about the fact that kingdoms rise and fall, and one day God's kingdom's going to come and be an everlasting kingdom. Where are you putting your trust? And I want, I want you to see something here. Because he they have the audacity to look at the king who can kill them in a moment, which he want, he's going to do. He's going to try to do. And look what he says here. He says, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. Why? Because we know what God's word says. And it's outlived the Babylonians, and it's outlived the Egyptians, and it's outlived the Romans, and it's outlived the Greeks. I can take you to these places in Israel where we can see Roman streets, beautiful, ancient streets. They're just decrepit and archaeological finds. God's word is still here today. You know, I can take you to, to, to Greece, been there. We can go to Ephesus, see this magnificent library that still stands. It's beautiful. You know, these ancient theaters that you can sit in that were built thousands of years ago. But you know what? Those people are long gone. That, that kingdom does not exist anymore. God's word is still here. What are you going to put your trust in? King Nebuchadnezzar, the Jews know God's word is what we're going to put our trust in. The question is, do we know that? I think that's what God's calling us, the, the, the begging the question for us. And under pressure, are you willing to recognize God's word has outlived kingdoms and empires and philosophers and viewpoints and governments and all of it? It still stands today. Where are you going to put your trust? But I love this about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know God can deliver us. He's able. His word says so. He can do it. That's the God that will deliver us. I love this line, though. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know what I love about this? I, look it, I know we all love the stories when there is deliverance. Hallelujah, he came out. He came out. He was survived. Hallelujah. But you know what? Sometimes they don't. You know, in the book of Revelation, there are martyrs of the faith who were murdered for their testimony of Jesus in standing up against the empire of the coming empire of the world, that they stood up against people saying, denounce Christ, and they didn't denounce Christ. They were murdered for their faith. Their souls are underneath the altar in the book of Revelation, and they're saying to God, how much longer, Lord, until you vindicate our name for those fools that did this to us? How much longer until you vindicate us? How much longer, God? We're waiting. We're dying to see. They're under there eating their popcorn, waiting for God to, you know, like, you know, like watching like a football. Come on, God, how much longer until you score that winning touch? We're waiting, God, because we know you're the one that's going to win the battle. We know it. You're going to vindicate us because we sacrificed our lives for you, but we did it because we know that you would vindicate, we knew you would vindicate us. I'm reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you come to Israel with me, we will go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a place called Gatshmanim. It's not Gethsemane. That's the Greeks shoving Hebrew words together. It's wrong. It's Hebrew, Gatshmanim. It's an olive grove where they pressed olives for olive oil. Gatshmanim means the place of pressing. And you can imagine this huge millstone that weighs maybe a ton running over a tiny olive and just squeezing out every ounce of juice, squeezing everything, breaking the olive apart. And what's left is nothing, nothing but a pulp. 
And that's where Jesus was. And it's the image, the same image, image we get in Luke. Of, remember him bleeding out, sweating out blood? It's the perfect image of where he was. He was in the place of pressing. And you would expect in that moment as Jesus cries out in his humanity, God, if this cup can pass from me, please. He knows what's coming. He knows the suffering. He knows. And in that moment, he goes, but not my will, but yours be done. And you know what we want? We want that moment where they go, all of a sudden, like, Jesus transfigures in front of them, becomes like a huge rock star, strong like Hulk Hogan, and just wipes out everybody and wins. Amen, we, he wins. Nope, what happens? He goes to the cross. He suffers. He dies. And then three days later, he's vindicated. Resurrection. Vindication. But he suffered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if we don't survive, I will never bow down to your God. You know why? Because God will vindicate us one day. It's the cry that goes back to the Psalms. How long, O Lord, that the righteous suffer, but the wicked prosper? How long? There's a day coming where that will all change. Vindication. Jesus comes back. He wins the battle. Look at this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, oh, furious, verse 19, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. He had his strongest men tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as he's, they're bringing them close to the furnace, that thing is getting heated up, that even the soldiers dragging them in died because of the heat of it. And they throw them in the furnace, and that's, we should stop there for a moment. Look what it says there. It says, The king commanders, uh, commanded so urgent, the furnace got so hot that the flames and the fires killed the soldiers who stood up, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, firmly tied, fell into the furnace. You should stop for a moment. Because this is that moment in a movie, you know, where it all comes to fruition, and you're just sitting there, and the music is intense, and the scene is just focusing in, and you're just sitting there watching because that tension is building. Because if you just keep reading, you just keep moving through. But see, Daniel wants the tension. And then look what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? Uh, 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 yes, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar does not know Jewish culture, does not know Jewish history, doesn't care about it. I'm going to be honest with you. He has not studied the prophet Isaiah. He has not studied, uh, you know, messianism, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. He's not studied what it means to be the son of God. What, what Nebuchadnezzar sees when he talks about the son of the gods, he's thinking as a pagan, he goes, there's some divine figure in there that's untied these people, and they're just walking around having a conversation. Who, what's going on in there? Who's the fourth man? That's right. It's, you know, some scholars say it's an angel. No, this is a theophany. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming to vindicate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because they stood on God's word. And God's word will always come out victorious whether in life 
or death. I always tell my students at Word of Life Bible Institute, God is greater than life. If you stake everything on God and then all of a sudden something bad happens and somebody dies that you love and that's it, your faith is over, then it wasn't real. God is even greater than life. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. They knew even if we don't survive, God's name is greater than this moment. And he will come out victorious. We will be vindicated. You know, we are meant to face persecution. If you are here today and you think Christianity is some easy-peasy religion, you're wrong. It is a walk with the Lord. And can I tell you something? Jesus even said to us himself, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. The world wants to hate you. I'm sorry, everybody. The world wants to hate us. Why? Because we stand on biblical values. Persecution is a part of what it means to stand on biblical values. I don't know what persecution looks like for everybody around the world, but it's there, and it's just the reality of what it means to be a follower of Christ in this time. And so I think it's important for us to recognize these things, that we stand on God's word, because I want you to see something. Watch what happens. Nebuchadnezzar's mind is blown. God stood with them in the fire. Christ was with them during that difficult time of persecution. And look what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces, and their house will be burned into the piles of rubber, uh, rubble, for no other God can save in this way. That is exactly right, Nebuchadnezzar. No other God can deliver you in this way. God's delivered Israel through the, the, the parting waters. He delivered them out of Egypt. He's delivered them out of persecution. He's delivered them out of Babylon. He delivered them out of Persia. He delivered them out of Greece. Can I tell you something? For us, he's delivered us out of sin. There's no other God who can do that. So I want you to just see this really quick. What does this mean for us? How can God use you when you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They stood on biblical principles. I promise you this. Nebuchadnezzar was not looking for devotion. You know what he was looking for? There you go. See you later. Goodbye. I'm going to go back to work now. That's all he cared about. That's all he cared about. And even that, when, I promise, there were Jews probably in Babylon that were like, yeah, there you go, okay, goodbye, I'm going back to the synagogue, see you later. I promise you, to save their lives, they did it, and it didn't even matter. But I will say this, the very fact that they stood up on biblical principle did two things. You remember what Jesus says that we should be as a church? Salt and light. That's exactly what Shadrach, if you want to see salt and light at work, it's right here. Salt, the preservation factor, preserving God's truth. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have gone, there you go, goodbye. No, they preserved God's truth. They were a preservation factor for what God's word said. As believers in a pagan world, and friends, we live in a pagan, secular world that is driving us in every direction but God. This world is so loud. 
And I'll tell you, as a father, it's my job to make Jesus louder than the world. And I'm going to tell you, they lived in a world that was loud too. And they stood up as a preservation of God's word. And they said, no, God's word says we shouldn't bow to images. I refuse to do it. Well, then get into the, get into the burning flame and fire and all that. So they go in and they come out unscathed. And you know what happens? They become the light. And now what happens? What, what happened? They came out unscathed. Nebuchadnezzar's mind is blown. Who are you guys? What is this? Who is your God? And now all of a sudden, what? The whole kingdom knows about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They became light. See, oftentimes I think we think of salt and light as two separate things. Oh, I have to be salty today, but tomorrow I'll be light, you know. No, you are salt and light. Because when you are salt, you are light. When you are preserving God's word, when you are walking in God's word, when you are doing the things that God has asked you to do, according to the scriptures, you become light. And you know what happens when you shine light? Some people love it and some people hate it. That's where persecution comes from. Anyway, you, you keep these Christians quiet. They're telling us we're wrong. Well, that's what the, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm telling you God says it right here. Let me show you the compassion and love of God right from the scriptures. Salt and light work together. So I want to encourage you. Don't just be salt. Be salt and light. And always stand on this one truth. If you're worried about your relationship with people, if you're worried about anything when it comes to how you stand on biblical principles, let me make this promise to you. God's word has outlived kingdoms and empires and kings and presidents and all of it and, 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 and parliaments. It's all changed. It's all fallen and risen and fallen and risen. But the one thing that's remained true is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood on is the same thing you stand on. Father, thank you that you've called us as believers to be salt and light together, that we preserve your word, we stand on your word. We don't cower, Lord, to secularism and humanism. Lord, anytime something great happens, to God be the glory. May we always give credit and honor to you, Lord. May we always remember that you were the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, may we always remember the forgiveness and salvation that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can deliver us, Lord, from the furnace, from the burning, from the judgment, Lord, that we might have a life in you, that we might have eternal life. Thank you, Father. Give us the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Just wait a minute, Chris. So here's the deal. Chris has agreed to pay lunch for everyone if we come back and hear some more preaching. How are you guys that? do that? All right. Hey, this Chris back. a hand. Thank you, Chris. Yep, Thanks no so problem. Much. Thanks so much. Um. Did you see my face when you said that? <laughs> yeah. He is not paying for lunch. You're on your own. That was a joke. So.